you have your Bibles, open it to Matthew chapter 6. Let's again just have a word of prayer as we look into these scriptures. God, as you speak, may we listen. May we have ears to hear. And may we have a heart that understands what you are saying here. Jesus, your words are timeless. And they have as much application today as they did when you were on that mount speaking them to the multitudes. And so, Father, as you speak to us tonight, might our lives be moved, might we be changed as we hear your words and they give us direction, they give us inspiration, they give us clarification to what your will is for us as your followers. Thank you for this time, Lord. Bless it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, as we have been looking at Jesus' first sermon, known as the Sermon on the Mount, we always need to remember where it began, because it began with blessing. The introduction in verses 1, or actually 2, on to 11, start off with the blessings of Christ, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who per are persecuted. And everything that he teaches in this sermon is going to draw us back to this idea that God is desiring blessing for our lives. You know, it is so important that we understand God's posture towards us, that he is leaning towards blessing. He is not leaning towards discipline, that he is not leaning towards trying to just whip us into shape, but he's trying to bless our lives, understanding that God loves you and that he knows what's best for you is a comfort that should be able to allow us the freedom with whatever is taking place in our lives to come back to him. And so as Jesus is talking about these things, and, and the last few weeks, it's been a lot of fun. We've, we've talked about adultery. We've talked about loving your enemies, all kinds of fun stuff. And so now let's talk about giving. You know, why not? We'll just keep it on the roll. But as Jesus is talking about these things, and he, he kind of hits hard as we have an understanding of where God is and where we are. The whole purpose and motivation is to move us towards blessing. And we always have to remember that, that that's the foundation of a sermon. And that, that's what we're going to see continuing on as we go on. And chapter 5, Jesus is kind of reframing our thoughts about relationships as he talks about us being the light of the world, he talks about us not being angry with our brother, attributing it to, to murder, talking about adultery and divorce and eye for an eye and loving your enemies. He's really reframing how we think about relationships. And in chapter 6, he's reframing what faith and devotion looks like. What is our motivation when it comes to, to serving God? And in chapter 5, as he pointed out, some of the bad things that we do in chapter 6, he wants to reframe maybe some of the good things that we do. Whereas chapter 5, he talked about those things that were bad. Chapter 6, he's going to talk about the things that are good, but he wants to look at what is good about those things. And maybe there is some bad that is in the good that we do. In other words, he's trying to get in deep into motives and what we do. 
And Jesus knows that we can do really good things for really wrong reasons. And that happens a lot in religion. People do good things, but they do it for the wrong reasons. And by doing that, we kind of pollute what takes place. And we want to make sure that that doesn't happen, that God is not working off of an economy of good and bad. Oh, you're good, okay, that's good. Oh, you're bad, that's bad. He's working off an economy of lost and found. And it's real important that we understand that, that it's a relational aspect. Those who have now been brought into his kingdom. It's not a matter of you doing enough good things that gets you in, or you do too many bad things and that gets you out. It's not that kind of an economy. It's not about good or bad. It's about lost and found. And so he's going to talk about three things in this portion that we're going to be looking at that are usually marks of spirituality. He's going to be talking about giving, praying, and fasting. And he wants to dissect them and look into those things. And so verses 1 through 4 in chapter 6, he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what the right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So Matthew here starts talking about Jesus' sermon, and he's going to use this words in secret throughout both or all three of these instances. And he's talking here about righteousness. And many times in Matthew's gospel, righteousness is used for actions. In other words, righteousness is for what we do. And the idea of righteousness here has to do with how we give. And so he's connecting this righteous behavior with the things that we do. In this specific case, it's with what we give. And Jesus isn't saying that we shouldn't do good things in front of other people. Because in chapter, or chapter 5, verse 16, he just told us in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So it's not like, oh no, I can't do anything good in front of other people. It's really about how we do the things that we do. What he's saying is be aware of why you do what you do and who you are really doing these things for. And the implication is that a lot of times we want to do things so that we can be made or look good in people's eyes. And we all are subject to this kind of thing. We all give in to this thing. And I don't think any of us here, I hope not, are going to blow trumpets out on the corner and say, I'm going to give to someone. That, that's not something that happens. If, if it does, I'm going to pretend I don't know you and I'm going to just keep driving by. That's not usually what takes place. But, but there are things that we can do that try and give us a little boost in the eyes of other people. The way we talk, the things that we do, you know, you, you have opportunity to do something good and you do it and, you know, you feel like, wow, people need to know about this. 
And a lot of times we want specific people to know about this. You know, we want to let a pastor know who we're trying to get in good with. Yeah, you know what I did? Yeah, I went sharing my faith with these people, and I led, you know, 20 people to the Lord yesterday. And, you know, I did this, and I saw someone who was in need, and, you know, I, I just felt moved by the Spirit to give to them. And it's like, okay, thanks, man. Appreciate that. And it's not that you shouldn't do those things. It's just, why are you telling me? Are you trying to look good? And that's a motive that he's exposing here. He wants us to know why are we doing these things. You know, chapter 5, Jesus was dealing kind of corporately. Let your good works be seen. He's talking about his church and his people. But in chapter 6 here, he's being more individualistic. And he says, so when you give. It's not if you give, it's when you give. In other words, there's an expectation that you are supposed to be giving. In some way or form, in some shape, you are supposed to be giving of ourselves, our time, our finances. That is supposed to be taking place. But he says to be careful of the hypocrites. Don't be as them. And Jesus speaks a lot of hypocrisy. In fact, that's one thing that almost everyone likes about the things Jesus says. He's against hypocrites. And everyone's against hypocrites, yeah. And the idea of hypocrite means to put on a mask, to, to pretend to be something you're really not. And turn with me quickly to chapter 23 of Matthew, because I just want to look at how Jesus speaks about hypocrisy in the religious element. And in chapter three, 23, the whole chapter really deals with this dialogue of, of him and the Pharisees and the hypocrisy. But from chapter from verses 23 to 28, he specifically is dealing with some things. And he says, woe to you, in verse 23, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woo! Heavy stuff. Gives you a little idea of what Jesus thinks of being phony, of pretending to be righteous, of wanting people to think of yourself as righteous. You're, you're, you're looking clean on the inside, but the inside is just full of junk. Who wants to get a cup of coffee that's real clean on the inside, but inside, you know, it's got yesterday's milk in it, you know, or something. It, it, you don't want that. It's contaminated. 
And what Jesus is saying is we contaminate the good we do if we do it for the wrong reason. It pollutes it. We're putting on a show. And he tells us that we are not to deal with this. And we all act out. Let's, let's be real. We all play the hypocrite someplace or sometime. Has someone ever come up to you and say, hey man, I, I need prayer for this situation. And you say, oh man, okay, I'll pray for you. And then you forget. Right? And a few days go by and then you see that person and then all of a sudden it jumps back in your mind. Oh, I was supposed to pray for them. And I didn't. And then they come up to you and they go, oh man, thank you so much for the prayers. God did something amazing. Oh, he answered the prayer. And you're like, oh, cool, man. Yeah, that's what I do, man. I pray for people. Yeah, yeah. You know, you just kind of sneak in there. I don't want to tell you, oh man, I, I'm glad God answered the prayer, but I totally forgot about you. You know, it just, so we play the hypocrite. We want them to think we still prayed even though we didn't. We, we want to look good. And so we, we are deceitful in those things. You know, Jesus moves this from a religious duty to a relational response. This isn't about getting enough points or looking well enough. This is about pleasing your father. And this is really at the heart of what we're doing. It's about pleasing the father. He then goes on and he tells us that we are to, to give Secretly, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And, and giving is that it kind of is just in secret that your father who sees in secret might reward you openly. You know, when you get a gift that's anonymous, it, it forces you to give thanks to God. It kind of puts you in this place where I don't know who did this. And what I try and do is find out who gave it to me, right? If it, I get an envelope, I look for the return, you know, postmark. Okay, I know it was an Upland. So who do I know who would do this or something? I always want to do those things. And, and if I find out who it is, don't, I don't steal their reward. The reward is something you have to give away. It's not something someone can take. The idea is, you know, if you gave something anonymously and then you see that person Sunday and you go, so, get anything in the mail this week? God bless you with anything? I'm just wondering. You see, that, that's losing the reward. That's, and if they go, thank you, thank you so much, well, then you, you've been paid in full. But if you do that anonymously, then you don't have to make a noise about it. And if you do get that gift anonymously, something anonymously, all you can do is thank God and know that your father cares. You know, Corrine and I have been blessed by people over the years. I mean, a, a few years ago, when things were really difficult, we were thinking, you know, we might not be able to keep our house uh, and finances were really struggling. We got some gifts. Some were anonymous and some we knew the people. And all we could do is say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your people who have been generous to us who have helped us out, who, who saw our need and were generous and didn't want anything out of it. They didn't want us to owe them anything. They just wanted to bless us. It's humbling. It's a, it's a difficult thing. And what the, 
the great thing about it being anonymous so many times is there isn't that awkward feeling of, uh, thanks, but now I owe you kind of a thing. Because sometimes people can pull that. But there isn't any of that. It, it's just because. The secret reward has to do with motive. And again, the idea of reward. When I first hear the word reward, it's kind of like, Ah, so you have to work to get a reward. You know, I always think of the old gunslinger, there's a reward. You know, turn in Jesse James and you get the reward kind of a thing. But really, this is kind of a brilliant thing because there are times when our motivation for what we do gets lost. We want to do good and pretty soon the good becomes the, the focus. You know, we want to help our community or we want to do work in Haiti or in Mexico and you get so caught up in that work, but it doesn't matter how much work you do, there is so much more that is always going to need to be done. And so you work and you work and you work and you can get frustrated because the work seems like it's never complete. You can lose hope. Man, we've been giving so much of our time and effort and money into this, you know, cause, into Haiti or into, you know, the healthy start and these kids who are in need and, and these things. And man, it just doesn't seem to get better. Oh, yeah, we helped this one community, but there's a thousand like it. And you just get burnt out because you're focused on the help. But if it's about your reward in heaven, if it's about pleasing your father, it's different. You know, when my kids were little, they wanted to help me with the yard work. You know, and when there would be a windy day like today and I'd have to gather all the leaves, they'd want to go out and help out. And they might have their little rakes, you know, those little plastic rakes that do absolutely nothing. You know, and they go outside and they don't think, oh man, we're never going to get done here. Dad, you really let this place go. I'm going to have to get all my friends from preschool and we're going to have to really work at this to try and put things together. They don't look at it that way. They look at it as, oh boy, I get to help dad. And they get a little handful of leaves and they put it in the bag and they want the water now because, man, I'm really tired for putting on that work on dad. <laughs> and I remember when the kids were little and they would want to help me mow the lawn and they would want to put their hands on the lawnmower and work with me. And whenever they wanted to help me, it went twice as slow as it did before because I have to watch out for them. And then when they're old enough to be able to actually help me, they don't want to anymore. I don't know why that works, but it's how it happens. But you see, when they're little, they don't think, oh man, this is a lot of work. We're never going to get this done. I don't want They just want to help dad out. And you see, our reward is from our father. We don't do this because there's so much work that needs to do, be done. We do this because it pleases our dad. Our reward is connected to him. And our fulfillment is in the relationship. This is what anchors our reality in the relationship with God. So that we don't get burnt out. So that we don't get frustrated. So that we do what we do for the right reasons. Because it's real easy to lose that focus, focal point. It's real easy to get caught up on the things instead of on the relationship. And we do it so easily. It happens just like that if we're not careful. And so Jesus, again, is pointing us to a place of blessing to keep us in this area where we can understand that our reward is, yeah, future, 
but it's also present. There is a reward to come, and there is a reward already present and at work. And there's a freedom that you have when you are able to know that whatever you give God, whether it's in secret or not, it's about the relationship you have with him. I shouldn't care about what people think. It's about me and my father. And that's really the heart and motive of these things. He moves on then into talking about prayer in verses 5 through 15. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. There they are again. For they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. As he starts to talk about prayer, I, I was thinking about how when I hear the words pray, so many times the idea of pray, prayer and guilt are, are strangely put together. And what I mean is this. When I think of prayer, I usually feel this is something I should do, but I don't do enough. Does anyone else have that feeling? Oh, you know, we need to pray. Oh, I don't pray enough. And so automatically I've got this kind of burden on my shoulder. Man, I'm not doing enough of this item. Or else a lot of time there's an insecurity, especially if there's a group of people and we're going to have a time of prayer. I don't want to pray out loud because I don't know how to pray. What if I pray something stupid? What if, you know, I, I just am unclear? What if I stutter? What if, what if, what if I don't know how to... Uh, I just don't want to do it. Because what do people think about me? And, and so there's this kind of stress put on prayer and insecurity about the thoughts, what they're going to be thought of. But prayer is not about being religious. It's about connecting to God. It's about our souls pouring out to God. And instead of it being about how we do this or how often we do this, it should be just the opportunity to do this. It doesn't matter if anyone knows that you pray or not. What matters is that you have a communication with your Heavenly Father. And in fact, verse 7, he talks about, don't go on babbling like the pagans do. They think that by all these words that God is going to hear them. The many words, they need to say things right and be heard. The more and longer we pray doesn't get it done. God has to answer me now because, man, I prayed for 45 minutes. He has to answer my prayer. Jesus says, don't. Don't go on and on. Don't be like them where they think by their many words they're going to be heard. You can't win God's favor by praying longer. Oh, but I need to pray more. Well, maybe you do. But don't think that it's the amount of time you pray that's going to answer your prayer. It doesn't work like that in God's economy. And we have to change the way we think and stop with the guilt, 
stop with the insecurities and understand that it's not that we pray right or pray enough. It's a child's conversation with their father. Prayer should be that daily conversation with our father. And it can take place anytime and anywhere. And to give us an understanding of what maybe that looks like, Jesus gives us a little model of prayer that we know as the Lord's Prayer. And you know, if you read these words, they probably last all of 20 seconds. But they contain probably the deepest thoughts and possibilities that you can imagine. And if you do struggle with prayer and don't know where to start, well, this is a good place to start. It's a good model for you to step into as Jesus talks about this. And he says, this then in verse 9 is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He starts off with the word our, and it's a possessive pronoun. It means he belongs to you and vice versa. You belong to him, our Father. This is very personal, and it's very relational. Father, our Father who is in heaven. The idea of a father is one that is supposed to be endearing. Now, what a father is today has been diluted because of a lot of bad examples. But you see, the remedy for a bad father isn't no father, it's a good father. And God is a good father, one who is there for you, one who cares for you, one who protects you, one who is there to instruct you. And he's your father. It's personal. And then he says in heaven, because he doesn't want you to think this is just a father. He wants you to know who this father is. He is your father in heaven, the father of the cosmos. He's the father who has created all these things. We want God in his proper place in our lives. We want him to be God. He's not just a man. He's not just dad. He's our Father, but He is God, our Father in heaven. And so Jesus starts off giving us a focal point, and it's God Himself in our relationship with God. If you're going to pray, understand that this is the beginning of prayer. He belongs to you. You belong to Him. He is your Father, and He is your Father in heaven. He goes on and He says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. There is an awareness of the kingdom that it's not yet. Your kingdom come. In other words, there is something that is still needing to come. When we talked about this quite a bit when we looked at what the kingdom is. The kingdom is not yet but at the same time, it is unveiling through his people, and ultimately it will be unveiled in Christ himself when he returns to establish it. God is not doing extreme earth makeover, okay? He's not just going to redress things. He's changing everything. He's bringing in a new heaven, a new earth, a new kingdom. 
you know that show Extreme Home Makeover, when they originally started, they would take a home and they would just try and work along with that home that was there already. They would just add a room, but that was too much work. They found it was better just demolish the house completely and start over. And that's what God is doing. He's establishing his kingdom, but it starts with us here and now, and it's going to be ultimately coming when he himself comes. And it says, your will be done. Not God, we will do your will, but your will be done in spite of our inabilities, in spite of government, in spite of all the problems that are here. Your will be done. It's not God's will that there is human slave trafficking taking place. It's not God's will that women and children are being abused. It's not God's will that people are in bondage to their addictions. It's not God's will that crime and injustice are present here. It's not God's will that these are are taking place. And what we are asking is that his will happens to our nation, to our communities, to our families, to us. We are asking that this justice take place and that we see it take place within our lives. Jesus himself prayed, Lord, your will be done. And he prayed it at a time when God's will was not easy to embrace. God, let this cup pass from me. I don't like what is before me, but not my will. Your will be done. And sometimes that's the simple prayer of surrender. Lord, your will be done. That that though I'm torn by my circumstances and I can't change what's going on, I entrust that you and your will will be done over my own. I just surrender to what you desire to do. Your will be done. And you see... These things are placing God in his place. Hallowed be your name. It means what you are is important. The word hallowed means weighty. It has substance to it. Lord, your will be done because you are hallowed, special, unique, holy. So you're more important than me. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, This is the idea of what you desire is what we desire to see take place now and ultimately when you return. And then he says, give us today our daily bread. This is the fourth petition. It doesn't start off first, but it challenges me and and maybe challenges you. When you pray, what do you pray first? Usually, honestly, it's for what I want. God, help me with this. I forget all about the first other steps, you know, Father in heaven, holy is your name, and, and your will be done on earth. Isn't Those things seem to bypass the first part of my prayer. I usually just want to jump to step four. God, here's the problem, here's what I need, and all of a sudden we see that this becomes about my will and not about God. And so I think it's important to recognize that We first start with God, who he is, his will, what his will is, and then align myself 
with God and not expect God to align himself with me. We are so narcissistic in a way we think of ourselves. We are so self-focused. We start with ourselves and we expect God to jump on board. God, here's the needs I have. Make it happen. My will be done. And there's lost sight of, God, you are important. You are of substance. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help me to line with your will. And then give us this day, our daily bread. First, I think it's interesting that it says give us, that it's inclusive. It's not give me. It's kind of give us. Supply your people with what they need. Martin Luther said that when we pray for bread, we are praying for everything. In other words, we're praying for what we need to survive, the things that are necessary. And even the word daily is translated as necessary. Give us what is necessary, our necessary supplies. And again, there is a solidarity with others. Give us. This isn't about you this is about us. Give us. You know, when one member hurts, we're all supposed to hurt. And when someone close to us is in trouble, we have a real sense of what this is like. When it's a family member who is diagnosed with cancer, all of a sudden it grips us more than if it's someone we don't know. But Jesus is talking about us. Give us collectively, us, your children, the things that are necessary to live. This is something that we can ask for. It's not wrong to pray for these things, but it's not the first on the list. And then, interestingly enough, right after he says, give us our daily bread, he says, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Forgive. We live in a world of debt. I mean, financially as well as sinfully. I mean, and what Jesus is saying here is pretty audacious. I mean, to ask this is unimaginable. Can you imagine going to the bank and saying, hey, I was wondering if you could forgive me my debt. Just thought I'd call and ask. You know, I have this home loan. Wondering if you could just forgive it. You could let it go. I'm sorry, sir, we, we can't do that. Is there someone else I can talk to? <laughs> I talk to a manager. How can I get this debt forgiven? And Jesus says, I want you to forgive the debt that is owed to you and those who have done wrong to you. As you forgive them, that's what you're asking God to do is forgive you. The idea of forgiving is a, a difficult thing. It, be aware of your relationship that is beyond the Father. In other words, he connects our relationship first with God, the needs we have, and then our interaction with others. Remember Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are connected together. And so right after we ask God to supply what is necessary for our needs, Jesus says, forgive those who owe you, as God also has forgiven you. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
you know, the world we live in is a minefield. And we need divine help to get through it. Temptation is all around us. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Help us to stay clear of those minds that are going to be devastating to our lives. Help me to not step into that problem. Give me insight, understanding with the people I deal with, with the circumstances I'm involving with, that I don't go into a place that is going to be detrimental, that's going to snare me and bring me down. And we have this promise that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians that whenever there is a place of temptation, God will provide a way out. There is a way out. You're not, oh no, I can't get out. There's nothing I can do. There is always a way out. Truth is, many times we don't look for the way out. Verse 14, he says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Again, here is this connection to prayer. We're still talking about prayer. Remember Jesus said, when you go into the temple to bring your gifts before the Lord and you know your brother has something against you, leave your gift and go and reconcile with your brother so that when you then come, God will hear your prayer. There's very much a connection with us hearing and God hearing us and how we deal with other people. It's, it's directly connected. And it's so Funny how we like to disconnect those things. We want to be able to deal with other people one way, but have God deal with us another way. And God says, no, I'm going to deal with you exactly like you're dealing with them. But God, you don't understand. They're unjust. You don't understand them. They were just insensitive to me. God, you don't understand. And I can just imagine God saying, huh? You, you Really? And what, you're Mr. Understanding? You're Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. You've done everything right in your relationship with me. You haven't dishonored me once. You haven't needed forgiveness from me every day for your life. And you're complaining about that person because they cheated you $10? Because they burnt your toast? You have a hard time with them, but you want something from me? Are you serious? And our relationship with others is so important to how God is going to deal with us in this area of prayer. It is directly connected. And we need to see that. Jesus is putting this in this aspect of prayer. It's important that we understand that this is how it is connected to prayer. And lastly, he talks about fasting. When you fast... Do not look somber as the hypocrites do. 
For they disfigure their face to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. He keeps saying this. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting. But only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Fasting is a willful surrender of something that you need or something that you want. Fasting, most often we're associating it with food, but you can fast time with TV. You could fast from recreation. You can fast from coffee. You can fast from all different kinds of things. The idea is you are willfully going to surrender something that you want something that you desire and a form of sacrifice. And what fasting is, is saying, God, this is something that I desire. This is something that is important to me. Or even in this case of food, this is something that I need. But what I really recognize, God, is that you are more important than even what I need. Remember Jesus, when he was taken to the wilderness and he had been fasting for 40 days and he was tempted by the devil. And he said, if you're the son of God, take these stones, turn them to bread. And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what Jesus is saying is that, God, you are of more importance than what is necessary for my body to survive You are more important, and I recognize that. And what fasting does is it helps us to to give and sacrifice those things that we need and a recognition that, God, I need you more. Again, these three things are areas of worship. And what Jesus is doing is saying, if you're going to do these things, this is how you do it. This is between you and me. How you give, that's between you and me. How you pray, that's between you and me. How you fast and sacrifice, that's between you and me. Don't go and make, oh yeah, I've been fasting. Yeah, I might pass out, you know, while I'm teaching, but, you know, if I do, it's just because I'm just fasting in the Lord right now. And I don't think any, I haven't seen anyone do that. I hope, you know, but, I mean, th- these are so different than some of the things that we see. We, we are so introduced to this performance, especially if you watch Christian TV. Oh, my gosh. That's all about performance. All your furniture has to be plated in gold, apparently. It has to have this show. It has to have this sparkle. It has to have this impression that you want to give. And Jesus is saying, no. It's between you and me. They receive their reward. They've been paid in full. And again, what Jesus is saying, act normal. Your worship is to be relational, not a spectacle. It's supposed to be connected to God, not to others. 
I see every now and then people, I've noticed it with my kids when, you know, they like someone, whether my boys liked a girl or my daughter liked a guy, and they had them over. All of a sudden it's like, who's this person in my house? They're not the person I know. Oh, hi, you know, you know, he never uses deodorant. You know, why is he taking showers and cleaning up now? You know, he's, he's performing. He wants to, and we all do it. I mean, that's how we get married. Um, <laughs> we got to fool them. If they knew who I really was, she'd never marry me. But there's this kind of, and you look at them and you're like, that's not who you are. You don't talk like that. You don't act that way. What are you doing? They're putting on a performance. And God is saying, you can't put on a performance with me. I know what is the secret. And so do this in a way that's just between you and me. If you're going to give, it's between you and me. You want to pray? Talk to me. Don't worry about how much you pray. Don't worry about what you say and how other people are going to hear you. Just talk to me. I... There's been a few times where we're in a group in a prayer meeting and there's this a person who maybe is new in faith or even a, a kid who's praying and they sit together and you could tell they're awkward while well, they came to a prayer meeting. I didn't know I was going to have to actually pray. And so they sit down and they, they sit quiet and maybe you're in a circle because we pray in circles, you know, and you're sitting down and all of a sudden it's their turn and they just say, um, hi, God. And everyone's like, what? You can't just say, hi, God. You know, that's not the proper way to, to say that. And then there's just this disarming and refreshing prayer that comes out of the simplicity and almost childlike innocence. Hey, hey God, um, yeah, it's me. I just wanted to say thanks. And, and you're thinking, man, this is very informal. This is very informal. This is very non-traditional, this is very refreshing. This seems very real. And, I mean, this is what we need to cultivate. That's why in our times where we have our love feasts and we have a time of prayer, I'm trying to make it non-structural and comfortable and we ask people to pray and, and I want it to be something where everyone feels like they're just with family and they can talk to God together. I don't want it to be something that's uncomfortable and awkward. And when we sacrifice and fast to God, it's between us and God. It's something that we do because we want to give of ourselves to our God. In all these things, know that God sees what's done in secret, and he will reward. But if you want, you can get your reward now. But that's all you get. It will be in full. So, man, that was a great job. Great prayer. Kudos to you, man. I don't think I've heard a better prayer. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's it. You just got paid in full. Hope it was good. Is that what you want? Because it's over. Or do you want the reward from your father? God, I'm doing this for you. It keeps you refreshed. It keeps your motives pure. And it keeps you on track with the things that God has for you. Well, let's pray. Lord Jesus, you, again, always open up.
our hearts and have us take an honest look. And God, we can't get away with fooling you. There, there is no hiding from you hypocrisy or wrong motives. There is no fooling you. And God, we don't want to fool you. In fact, we hear your words and what we want is to be in line with what you say. Lord, we want to have the right attitude. We, we want to do things because it's pleasing to you. We, we want our reward to come from you. We, we desire it to be an aspect of relationship and not religion. We, we want to do things because you're our Father in heaven. We want to be children that have an open communication with you, that have a, a genuine relationship with you. And Father, as we hear you speak, it again causes us to look at what we do, why we do these things, and maybe why we don't do these things. And again, you are leaning us to blessing. You are provoking us to the blessing. You are desiring for us blessing. And so all these things, as they challenge us, as they cause us to ask questions of ourselves, it is so that we will enjoy the blessings that you alone can give. And so I pray, Lord, that we would partake in all these areas, that we would be giving, that we would be prayerful, that we would sacrifice and fasting to you. And we would do it because we love you. And we would be your children who represent you clearly. Lord, thank you again for this time. I pray that you would retain within our minds those things that come from you, those, those stirrings of your Holy Spirit. Might they work with us long after we leave this building. May they continue to just filter into our souls. Lord, thank you again for your goodness to us and for your words. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.